Hello, music enthusiasts. Welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. Episode 19. I got a good segment, a good feature segment later on in this episode. I'm going to talk about another genre. I think a perfect genre for this time of year. I was listening to the albums that I have prepared for you and I was like yes this is the perfect time for me just just to listen to these amazing albums so you got that to look forward to later on uh, in the show I promise I won't make this intro as long as I did last week's after I was done editing uh, this episode or last week's episode I took a look at it and I was just like holy crap this episode's an hour and 10 minutes long. I don't think I've had an episode that long since maybe the Radiohead uh, episode. And I was going to make Animal Collect, that Animal Collective episode that I did a couple months ago, um, as long as the Radiohead one, but I decided to chop it up into into, uh, two separate episodes, which is probably what I'll do again for uh, an artist guide that has more than probably six albums in their discography. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting off topic. I, I, I promised I won't make this uh, intro as long. If you follow the Sound Encounters Instagram page, which you should, at Sound Encounters, you'll see that I recently purchased two things. Well, not recently purchased, but I'll get into that. I purchased two things that have been making me happy this past week. First, I got a slow dive record in the mail. Now, I haven't been record shopping since... Uh, the pandemic started. I actually did end up visiting uh, a record store uh, in Michigan while I was in Michigan, but I didn't buy anything. I I had to conserve my money, especially since I had just bought this slow dive record. But this one is special. This is from this year's record store day, and it is their original debut EP, self-titled EP, I should say. It has three tracks on it. On side A, we have Slow Dive and Avalon 1, and Avalon 2 as the B-side. It says, recorded at the White House, engineered by Martin Nichols. It's this nice, like, green, pristine album cover. And if I take out the record, it's actually a nice, translucent, like, forest green. Um, It's from Creation, which unfortunately went out of business thanks to My Bloody Valentine. But yeah, you know, as soon as I got it, I popped it onto the old turntable and immediately blown away with the three tracks on here. Funny enough, I actually haven't listened to this EP. And uh, so when I learned that they were reissuing this, I was tempted to listen to those three songs. Um, But I thought it would make it special if I waited and heard them for the first time when I put it on the turntable. So yeah, there's an image up on the Sound Encounters Instagram page of the vinyl cover, but by the time this episode is out, I might have posted images of the actual uh, record and then probably a video of me playing the record on my turntable. So that was the first thing I got in the mail. The second thing I got in the mail was the Swans documentary, Where Does a Body End, directed by Marco Porcia. I got the standard Blu-ray edition. It's an extended cut of 161 minutes. As I was watching this, I was like, man, this documentary is really long. But because I am such a huge Swans fan, I did not mind. I discovered a lot about 
the the songwriting process, how the band members got along. Michael Jira, the singer, songwriter, founder, uh, composer, I guess you could even say, of Swans. You, you get to dig deep into his mind because there's these personal interviews with him and he talks a lot about how is he even alive and how he thought Swans was a failure, although now a lot of us would consider Swans this important rock group over the past couple of decades since the 80s. But it's interesting to see uh, Jira like this. There's a couple of interviews of him online as well, but really seeing him in, in this personal and intimate light gives a whole new perspective on the music. Um, even uh, There were even times where I just felt angry towards him. I thought he was being just a dick or a horrible person. Um, but actually one of my favorite things that he does, and there's actually footage of this, um, at the at, towards the end of the film is him going to the merch booth and signing things and talking to his fans. Um, and that was a really good moment in the documentary. There's also a lot of interviews with Jarbo, Karen O from the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, Thurston Moore and Lee Ronaldo from Sonic Youth, uh, Anna Von Housewolf. And so a lot of these interviews were actually really interesting to watch, especially from Jarbo and uh, Thurston Moore, given how he was a, a founding member of Swans, or at least played with them um, in the uh, during the 80s era, as well as really good friends with Jira. This documentary is going through the band's history from their f- first LP filth to uh, current day Swans, and I ended up liking that a lot. I ended up learning a lot of Jira's headspace uh, during the years. Again, his songwriting process, how and where he was uh, when he wrote Children of God or even like The Burning World, which is considered their worst album. And then I think uh, my favorite part, one of my favorite parts at least, was how he described writing soundtracks for the blind his vision for that, using field recordings of his parents as well as uh, Jarbo's parents. And a lot of that was super interesting because Soundtracks for the Blind is one of my favorite albums of all time. And just seeing that process was so amazing. I was waiting for the moment where they would talk about their breakup tour back in 1997. One of my favorite live albums of all time, probably my favorite live album, is Swans Are Dead 95 through 97, which chronicles a live concert from 1995 as well as the last, uh, presumably last, concert uh, from 1997. And what I love about that live performance is that they play songs that haven't been recorded, haven't been put to uh, a record. So songs like Low Life Form, Feel Happiness, and my personal favorite song, Not Alone. I cannot tell you how many times I've listened to that song. It's probably my favorite Swan song if I were to pick one right now. Um, There's a lot of great Swans tracks, but Not Alone is one of my most listened to Swans tracks. And when I first heard that song, I tried to find a video of that performance, but I could never find one. Um, And thanks to this documentary, I saw uh, their performance of Not Alone. And when I got to that part, like just goosebumps all over my arms. Uh, A phenomenal documentary. 
I will say there are some issues with uh, editing that I have. I noticed a lot of errors. I mean, not a lot, maybe like a, a couple, but, um, and then there were moments where they kind of overdid it and I rolled my eyes. But for the most part, this is a phenomenal documentary. Highly recommend it, especially if you are a fan of swans. Okay, okay, I promised that this wouldn't go on for f too long, so let's get into the show. Got a great show for you this week. I'll be going over post-hardcore, what that is, and five albums to get you into that genre. But first, as always, we have to talk about this past week in music. All right, so after that huge week in music last week, or I should say two weeks ago, we don't have much for this week, which is just fine with me because it was a task and a half to listen to all those albums and then uh, provide you some commentary for the following week, but that's okay. A break is okay too. So for this week, since there are, there were really no albums on my radar, um, I did end up skipping an album from two weeks ago that I do want to cover. But other than that, there's an EP I want to talk about, but first, I got to talk about the singles. Up first, we have The Pink Phantom by Gorillaz featuring Elton John and Black Sixlack. I really don't know how you pronounce that. Um, but surprisingly, it was a nice, slow piano synth and percussion ballad. Usually, I criticize Al Barnes' vocal performance, but uh, mainly because I'm not fond of uh, his vocals or I've grown tired of how he sings. Um, but the piano playing at the same time with his vocals moving at the same time, uh, those those cues spice it up a little bit. So I, I didn't really mind his vocals for this one. Also, I feel like he didn't have as much of a, a significant appearance on this track as, let's say, Elton John. Elton John really dominated this track. So maybe that's why I really don't have a problem with Albarn's vocals uh, on this specific track. But speaking of Elton John, I mean, he sounds like Elton John. He sounds like how you would expect. And um, I'm not particularly wooed by Elton John's performance on this song, but I will say it was okay. It was a nice little feature. Um, Black, on the other hand, has a very brief appearance, but with the autotune on his voice, he sounds like your average trap rapper. Um, and I don't think his appearance really stood out at all to me. Very average, and I didn't. I just particularly didn't care about his uh, uh, vocals when when he was when he appeared. Also, Elton John with Black and Gorillaz is a very weird pairing that I don't think worked out. It just felt all over the place to me. At least I could say that the instrumental was the highlight of this song, but for vocals, just wasn't feeling it. Next, I heard Dragon Eyes by Adrian Lanker. This is the second single from her forthcoming album. This isn't as dreamy or fantastical as the previous single, Anything. This is a straightforward, gentle, acoustic guitar melody. It has that very earthy feeling to it, like the previous Big Thief album, Two Hands, which is fine. I, I do like the, the more stripped-backed, traditional folk songs. But any fan of Lanker and Big Thief knows that the instrumentation is only one half of of the formula. Her lyrics and her vocals 
are wonderful on this track. I get a feeling that this is a very lovesick ballad with uh, Adrienne talking about how her bed is cold, presumably because her lover is gone. Uh, she's going through the words that she said in the past in her mind. She talks about wanting a place with this person. And possibly my favorite verse on this track is when she starts talking about the coastline being shaped by the wind. I'm pretty sure it's the second to last verse on that track. It's just all around wonderful writing. So while the instrumentation could be a little weak, I personally like it, but if you are used to that dreamy, ethereal quality to Lanker and Big Thief's music, then you might not like this one as much as the previous song, but I still, I, I still like it. I will say it's not as good as the last track, but it is still a really well done track. Next, we have Don't Stop by Megan Thee Stallion featuring Young Thug. And this was quite a, a jarring song to listen to after listening to Adrian Lanker's track because I put all of the new releases on a playlist and then I'll listen to it. With this beat being very heavy on the bass along with an abrasive electronic loop, yeah, this was very jarring. Now on this track, I don't think Megan's writing is as strong as it was on WAP, they're very similar songs in terms of uh, lyrical content or song narrative, but possibly my favorite line on here kind of won me over when she was talking about Tajin and Mango. Mad respect for her, and I had an instant craving after hearing that line. When it comes to Young Thug's verse, didn't really interest me, really just kind of put me to sleep, didn't really care for his line and it sucks because i think megan came out pretty strong on the first verse and then he interrupts it and it's just a snooze fest so wasn't really a fond of of young thugs verse on here it's still a pretty decent song though it definitely bumps and i gotta say just chef's kiss to that tahin line next up i have andalusia by andrew bird this is a cover of a john kale song by the same name we have elegant violin plucking that Andrew is, is known for. And he also has a chorus of, of these beautiful background singers that um, hum. And uh, overall, it's a good cover. Not really much to say about it. Not really much to complain. It's overall a good Andrew Bird cover. It's a song that's very Andrew Bird. Nothing, he does nothing really new on this track. Um, and speaking of covers, the next song that I heard was Jolene by Lingua Ignota, of course, Jolene being the famous Dolly Parton song. And uh, I just want to clarify that I didn't know that her last track, Wicked Game, was a cover. So now I'm saying this now, that was a cover. If I, I don't remember if I mentioned that it was an original track from Lingua, but Wicked Game, cover. And does this mean that we might get a cover project soon? I think that'd be interesting. She does put her twist on these songs um, and... They are fantastic, and this cover is no exception, because in typical Lingua Ignota fashion, this is a slow and dark cover with distorted drone guitars and her lingering vocals. Fantastic cover. Um, I'm not a fan of Dolly Parton. I'm not sure if this is, if what I'm saying is controversial, but I will say this song I would probably prefer it to the original song. Just saying. And I and I and I also don't really like covers, so this is something really unprecedented for me. <laughs> and the last track I heard was Jewels by Anderson Pock. He teased this track earlier um this week, and I was hoping I was actually kind of just shocked because I thought it would be a full-length project, but it ended up being just a single. It's a fun little song with jubilant guitars 
bass, drum beat, and vocals. Overall, it's a great instrumentation. Maybe the beat is a bit mixed too high for some, but really for me, it's it's not an issue. What really threw me off was Anderson's high-pitched vocals. I mean, when I first heard these high-pitched vocals, I thought, okay, he's going to do something a little, a little cute for like a couple lines, and then he's going to switch to his regular uh, voice, but that didn't happen. And it wasn't annoying. Again, still a little jarring, but I got used to it very quickly, and I, uh, and I didn't mind it. Because overall, this is a very catchy song with a fun flow from Anderson, so not really a big deal. And that does it for the singles. I heard one EP this week, and that is Rarities 2007 through 2010 by Women. You have no idea how happy I was to hear that this was out. Unfortunately, I got it wrong, and uh, it turns out to be an EP and not a compilation album, but really, I don't mind because I live for this band. In typical woman fashion, a lot of these songs are daunting and somber, but there always seems to be light shining through on these songs, actually. I started to first notice it on the second track, Bullfight, as there's optimistic and shimmering chords that peek through at the end, even though for a majority of the song, we had the typical creeping and cold vocals from the Fakel Brothers and the syncopated guitars. I really can't understand what they're saying, and um, and I couldn't find lyrics on the internet, so I can't really comment on the lyrical content. Maybe it's very dark at the beginning, but as the song progresses, it gets more optimistic, and, and, and that's why there's that change in the uh, song's mood, it's the song's tone. This is a rarities collection, so songs like Service Animal, while I love the metallic syncopation of the guitars, it does sound unfinished or not fully realized. Again, like it could have been a blueprint for a song, uh, but you know, uh, another track like Grey Eyes actually sounds like a lulling interlude that could have fit on Public Strain. It's very Velvet Underground sounding. A lot of their work is, which is why I think I love them so much. Oh, and of course, there is Everyone Is So In Love With You, the single that they released for this song. Um, I have been playing this song on repeat. I fucking love it. This is actually the most sobering song on the collection. That upright bass and Fagel's distant and cold vocal delivery is just beautiful. And again, we have those tropic-sounding guitars peeking through and offering some light in the dark. This is a very wonderful EP. I just wish there was more songs on here. I wish it could have actually been a collection. Man, if they came out with an hour-long collection, oh, I would just be I would I would cancel the show because I'd just be listening to that over and over again. But what we got was pretty fantastic. Honestly, it was just really nice to hear Reimer's guitar work again. Just absolutely stunning. And finally, I heard one LP this past week. It was an LP that I kind of thought I dodged. And by thought I dodged, I mean, no one really asked me why or my opinions on this record. Um, but I dodged it for the sole reason that I haven't really listened to uh, the other albums in their discography aside from one um i am of course talking about ohms by deftones 
Because I've only heard White Pony from 2000, I thought I was kind of underqualified to talk about this album. But the more I thought about it, I thought it was a good idea to offer an outsider's perspective on this record. This is their ninth full-length album, and from what I can remember of White Pony, I really loved their blend of alternative metal and alternative rock. I remember a lot of blissfully heavy riffs, uh, intense drumming, and catchy vocals from Chino Marino. A huge part of why I thought that album was so memorable and so good was because of the catchy vocal melodies and the intensity of the instrumentation. And so only having that album under my belt and going into ohms, I noticed a lot of similar vocals that were uh, either had vocal melodies, satisfying vocal melodies, or catchy hooks. There's Ceremony, Error, and Pompeii. However, when it comes to the instrumentation, it seems like there is a similar feel from White Pony. Again, we have those heavy, distorted riffs, that forceful rhythmic percussion, and the passionate vocal performances. I listen to his song like Error, and the guitars and drums on that song give me nostalgia, like going back to the early 2000s or the 90s. And while I'm sure a lot of Deftones fans love that and want to hear that, is this really a good thing? For someone like me who hasn't listened to every Deftones record only coming off of White Pony, how does this show their progression as a band? And of course, I don't know how they sounded like past White Pony, haven't heard their stuff. They could have sounded like this throughout their entire career, but a lack of progression does sound a bit bland and boring. That's not to say that all of this stuff doesn't sound good to me. I loved the lyrics on this link is dead as Chino talks about lethargy, the roaring guitars, and his altered vocals make this one hell of a heavy track. And I really love the main riff off of the title track, Ohms. Chino's vocal delivery is also very memorable, makes it stand out among all of the songs on this album. But ultimately, this is a very average alt-metal record. Things might change, though, because if I listened to the rest of their discography, I might have a different outlook on this record. But this is just my opinion from an outsider's standpoint, so just don't murder me. These are my thoughts for now, and they are subject to change, especially if I go back to listen to the the the, the other Deftones uh, records. I have Around the Fur on my list. Pretty sure there's a there's a record from 2006, maybe, if I remember correctly, that I also could put on my list. But I thought it would be uh, fun to give my opinions on this new Deftones record without really having uh, a history uh, with, with Deftones. And so that does it for this past week in music. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'm going to talk about post-hardcore. Stay tuned, everybody. Welcome back to Sound Encounters. Before the break, I had promised that I was going to talk about post-hardcore, what that is, five albums to get you into the genre. Now, it's very important that before I start talking about post-hardcore, that I clarify that I don't mean modern post-hardcore. I'm not talking about that screamo or emo core aesthetic sound bands like Pierce the Veil, Falling in Reverse, 
dance, Gavin, dance. No, I am not talking about that at all. When I talk about post-hardcore, I am talking about an offshoot of hardcore punk that begun in the mid-80s. Post-hardcore maintains the aggression and intensity of hardcore punk, but allows for creativity and experimentation. Often bands uh, took hardcore punk and combined it with experimental rock and noise rock, and later down the line, it also incorporated dub, funk, and jazz rock. What they were trying to achieve was expanding the hardcore punk formula with notably longer and more complex arrangements that built tension and release through lyrics and the music. Forefathers of post-hardcore, you know, bands like Husker Du, Minutemen, Big Black, weren't called, weren't labeled post-hardcore. They were just hardcore bands. It, It was later down the line that it was decided that they needed another label, another descriptor. And then eventually in the 2000s, post-hardcore evolved into this emo and screamo crap that I can't (laughs) stand. (laughs) So when I talk about post-hardcore, I mainly talk about the 80s through the 90s run, a lot of the classic stuff. And with that, here are five albums to get you into post-hardcore. Number one, Zen Arcade by Husker Du, released in 1984. Now, for this first slot, there were several bands and albums that I could have picked, you know, such as Double Nickels on the Dime by Minutemen or Atomizer by Big Black. And those are fantastic albums, fantastic bands that you should check out if you find yourself digging the the stuff that I'm about to talk about. But ultimately, I picked Zen Arcade because it had more of a significant impact on post-hardcore than those two albums. Debatable, I guess, for Double Nickels on the Dime. But this album went to create the genre and also create another genre, which is alternative rock, which we're not really here to discuss. <laughs> Husker Du is a Minnesota band with humble hardcore origins. Their first album, Everything Falls Apart, roughly follows the hardcore formula of songs that last from one to two minutes. Um, The entire album is actually just 20 minutes long, and they had a desire to play faster than notable hardcore bands. However, things were going to change for their second album, as they wanted to strive for something bigger and more ambitious for Zen Arcade. It is a double album that's over an hour long, which was unheard of at the time, and, and even more so, it's a concept album about a young man running away from an abusive home life who joins the military, finds religion, finds love, and then loses his lover to an overdose. Then he reaches a low point, deciding that nothing is going to get better for him uh, until finally realizing that it was all a dream and waking up from that dream at the end. If this sounds familiar, it's the plot, loosely, to Green Day's American Idiot. Green Day are punk rockers. Um, It would make sense for them to take inspiration from Husker Du. Any punk rocker should take inspiration from Husker Du. Aside from its narrative, Zen Arcade also experiments with how a punk album should sound. Of course, they're your typical run-of-the-mill, heavy and fast guitar and percussion-driven punk songs like Indecision Time and Pride. 
But the band also mixes in elements of acoustic folk, like uh, Never Talking to You Again, noise rock and psychedelia with Hare Krishna and the Tooth Fairy and the Princess, and piano ballad interludes like One Step at a Time and Monday Will Never Be the Same. All of these musical concepts are pretty much unheard of for a punk record. But the song that really pushes the boundaries of punk music and probably inspired other post-hardcore bands to lengthen their songs is the closing track, Reoccurring Dreams. This is a 14-minute long instrumental epic with neurotic and psychedelic guitar riffs and drumming. It builds tension and releases that tension and keeps its momentum throughout its duration. When I first heard this song, it was a religious experience for me. It was one of those moments where I was like, holy shit, music can do this. I really can't do this album justice. You just gotta know, it's an important punk rock record that went on to inspire the post-hardcore genre, as well as the alternative rock genre and multiple punk rockers to come. You need to listen to this record as soon as you can. At number two, I have 13 songs by Fugazi, released in 1989. Now, I am cheating with this entry, as it's not a studio album. It's more of a compilation album. It is a compilation album of Fugazi's first two EPs, their self-titled debut EP and the Margin Walker EP. And for those of you who know Fugazi, you might be asking yourselves, well, why didn't he choose Repeater? And believe me, Repeater could be the second choice for this list. But I believe that this compilation album is a no-brainer entry-level post-hardcore record. And also, it was my first exposure to Fugazi, so there's a lot of significance to this record. Fugazi was born from that classic DC hardcore scene, as Ian McKay, the frontman of legendary hardcore band Minor Threat, who I talked about in my hardcore episode a few months ago, and Guy Picciotto, the frontman of the first emo band, Rites of Spring, decided to make a band together. After his band Minor Threat disbanded, McKay expressed interest in, in creating songs and not really being a part of a band. He wanted this project to sound like the Stooges with reggae. And there's definitely that punk rock sound when you hear McKay's heavy low-end guitar riffs. But we get that reggae sound when bass guitarist Joe Lally has these dub-inspired bass lines. We are hearing Fugazi combine punk with funk and reggae beats. Waiting Room, along with being one of the most iconic punk songs ever, has to have one of the most iconic bass lines of all time. Lally does a tastefully wonderful job with that reggae-inspired rhythm. This song is also a great example of the band experimenting a little bit with stop-and-start song structures. Waiting Room is notorious for having that long pause near the 22nd mark that seems to hold you there in suspense forever until the drumbeat kicks in. We hear more reggae uh, on the bass line and suggestion, and the influence is all over Burning 2. And it wouldn't be a post-hardcore record without that tension building and the release, which I think Give Me the Cure and Promises do very well. Picciotta's vocals and the dissonant guitars creep up on Give Me the Cure and explode with intensity, while Promises has both McKay's gentle vocals and the quiet guitars slowly rising until they climax together with McKay shouting, Promises are shit! I love 13 songs, and I hope you do too, but if you think this record is amazing, wait till you hear what they worked on 
after these two EPs. A, a truly astonishing legacy. At number three, I have New Plastic Ideas by Unwound, released in 1994. Now, ugh, Unwound. Not only are they my favorite post-hardcore group, but they are one of my favorite groups of all time. You'll be hard-pressed to find a terrible record in their discography. And really, I could have picked at least three other records before this one, but I chose this one because this is where they really started to focus on their songwriting abilities. Fake Train, the album that preceded this one, heavily relied on feedback and dissonance. And while there is still that feedback and dissonance on this record, their third full-length album, it's mostly characterized by melodies, something similar sounding, and odd time signatures. Guitarist and vocalist Justin Trosper, bass guitarist Vern Rumsey, and drummer Sarah Lund were masters of creating these propulsive, angular, and bleak post-hardcore songs. The first two tracks, Entirely Different Matters and What Was Wound, are these quick and demanding attacks with jagged guitar lines and intense drumming. It's everything you would expect from post-hardcore and unwound at that time. However, on the next two tracks, Envelope and Hexenzyme, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, there's a clear chord progression and melody, but unwound can't help themselves. They even play with the breakdown of Hexenzyme, the guitar, drum, and bass, you know, playing this quiet and dour melody as it slowly builds before it comes crashing down at the end. Um, and something similar happens on Useful Dosage and Arboretum. But by far, my favorite moment on this record is, is its centerpiece, Abstractions. It's a wandering instrumental piece that builds and mutates from that initial guitar and bass riff and drum beat. The band has a lot of these instrumental tracks on their records that seems to, uh, or seems like they are improvising as as they, as they go along, and it never fails to be the highlight on that specific album for me. And Abstractions, hands down, my favorite track on this album. Don't sleep on this album, guys. They've got a mind-blowing discography. And while this isn't my favorite Unwound record, it, it was a great point in their career as they were showing growth. And number four, I have Yank Crime by Drive Like Jehu, also released in 1994. Drive Like Jehu only released two albums before they inevitably broke up. However, they are also a significant post-hardcore act. You know, it always seems to be the bands with really short discographies that always end up making an impact like Slint or Big Black. And their contemporaries like Fugazi and Quicksand just overshadowed them. But they proved to be a force to reckon with as they took inspiration from bands like Slint, speaking of Sonic Youth and The Wipers. They formed in San Diego in 1990 by rhythm guitarist and vocalist Rick Froberg and lead guitarist John Reese, along with bassist Mike Kennedy and drummer Mark Trombino. Gang Crime is their second full-length album and is characterized by Froberg's fervorous singing, long-winded and intricate instrumentation, and uncommon time signatures. They really waste no time showcasing their abilities as the opening track, Here Come the Rome Plows, explodes with ferocious atonal guitar playing and Froberg's very unruly shout singing. It's very much building upon that raw, hardcore punk sound, but they also incorporate some of that early Rites of Spring emo core sound as well. 
you know, increasing the frenetic and visceral intensity of hardcore while also having personal and emotional lyrics. Lyrically, Here Comes the Rome Plows has ties to the bulldozers used by the U.S. military to destroy South Vietnamese and Cambodian forests. And if you don't see the desolation of forests as being tragic, um, then I don't trust you. <laughs> Froberg also states how he's never experienced tragedy in his life and how he sees that as a problem, whether dealing with a person on an emotional level or empathy. But getting back to the intense instrumentation, uh, we hear this all across the record with songs like New Math and Golden Brown. However, I feel like the band shines on its longer compositions like Do You Compute, Luau, and Sinews. My personal favorite has to be Luau, as it's building upon that siren-like sounding guitar riff, as well as its, its repetitiveness just drilling into your skull. Uh, do yourself a favor and listen to this album as soon as possible. Drive like Jehu's importance cannot be understated. And finally, at number five, The Shape of Punk to Come by Refused, released in 1998. You all knew this was coming. I just had to talk about this record. Refused is a Swedish hardcore band that formed in 1991. And although their lineup was different in the early years, this album featured vocalist Dennis Lykzen. Again, I'm, I'm apologizing for the butchering of these names. Drummer David Sandstrom, guitarist Christopher Steen, and John Brandstrom, and bassist Magnus Flagg. The band's philosophy revolved around a very simple premise called New Noise, which stated that punk and hardcore music could not be anti-establishment with sounds that were considered mainstream being the background to their revolutionary lyrics. And so because of this, this album incorporates experimental combinations of post-hardcore, post-punk, techno, and jazz. In fact, we could take a look at the song New Noise as a great example as it mixes post-hardcore aggression, screamo, and metalcore with electronic elements. And we see this throughout the album, uh, such as the techno outro on Warms of the Senses, Faculties of the Skull, the jazz interlude on The Deadly Melody, there's, there's even a drum and bass ambient song on Brutiest Palm number five, as well as strictly hardcore songs like Summer Holidays versus Punk Routine or Protest Song 68. Although Protest Song 68 has a spoken word passage, the songs build, but the release is abrupt. And it, it was probably the thing that stood out to me the most when I first heard this record. They are playing with post-hardcore conventions already. There's even a song on here that I really love for, for playing with the loud, soft dynamic, and that's the second track on this record, Liberation Frequency, as verses are quiet and choruses explode with noise and screaming. The most impressive track here has to be uh, the penultimate track, Tenhauser Derive. It begins with an epic folk passage done with strings, then guitars and drums slowly rise and then becomes this full-blown punk song with vicious attacks and drone sections. It's always the seven-minute long songs that seem to really get my attention. Refuse broke up soon after this album was released, mainly because the album was a commercial and critical failure, both fans and critics alike not really getting the content of the album. However, the years following its release, it gained more attention and people began to warm up to it. And then when they finally returned in 2012, 
the masses welcomed them back with open arms. They had finally caught up to refused new noise sound. Not only is this an important punk record, but it's an important record that still holds up today. And with that, that concludes my five post-hardcore albums list. To recap, we have Zen Arcade by Husker Du, 13 Songs by Fugazi, New Plastic Ideas by Unwound, Yank Crime by Drive Like Jehu, and The Shape of Punk to Come by Refused. What was your favorite album on this list? Do you have a favorite post-hardcore band that you would like to share with me? Let me know on Twitter at Sound Encounters. Do hashtag SE post-hardcore. I'll be looking at that hashtag for your responses, as well as sending me a voice message on Anchor. If you look at the podcast description, there is a link there that will send you to Anchor where you can record your message, send it to me. You could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions as I would love to continue this post-hardcore discussion. Well, that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. If you haven't guessed already, post-hardcore is a genre that I love to listen to around this time of year. Um, I might be doing another genre guide for a genre that I, a similar genre that I like to listen to this time of year um, for next week. So you have that to look forward to. And of course, as always, you know, you could send me suggestions on what genre, album, band I could cover. Is there another genre you like to listen to uh, around this time of year that I should discuss, um, go in depth with? Let me know. You can go to anchor.com.fm, actually. It's forward slash sound encounters. There's also a link in the podcast description for you to go and um, send your voice message. And as always, if you like this show, if you like my content, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps a lot. And make sure to tell your friends about the podcast. Get the word out, especially if they are music fans. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. this has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.